Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today is Mr. Evan Federhoff. Thanks. And Matt Tanner. Thank you, Matt, for being here with us today. Good to be here. We're going to let you introduce. Matt's uh, been around us for a while since we've been here in Missouri, and he's a he's a multi-layered man. Uh, so I'm going to Matt. I'm going to let you introduce. Tell us what you're doing, uh, what you got going on, and and you also have a book that we want you to share about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the book is called The Wounded Pastor, and I have what's called Wounded Leadership Ministries, and mm. uh, that's really where my heart is right now, um, personally in between ministries looking to see what God's going to do vocationally, but uh, just really want to draw attention to the book. And uh, it, it is directed mainly to pastors who have been unjustifiably terminated or forced to resign from their position as a pastor. And mm. it's an unfortunate phenomenon that's happening in the church and uh, really about four to seven percent per evangelical denomination. Mm. And uh, 60% of those never go back into the ministry. So we, we've got wow. this whole list of, of casualties in the ministry, um, but it's not just for pastors because uh, church members need to read it because we've got to understand uh, what pastors go through. Mm. And I talk a little bit about uh, diatrophies and, uh, you know, in, in uh, the antagonist and, and kind of show a complete picture of this uh, unfortunate phenomenon that's mm. happening. Um, but the main crux of the book is a four-step four step strategy to heal from being wounded in the church. Mm. And like I said, it is directed toward pastors, but I talk to people on a weekly basis that have said they've been hurt in some form or fashion by the church. Mm. And so the first part for pastors is economic healing, um, because when you lose your job, there's some things that you have to go through, and, you, and you're not healing if you're not paying the bills. Mm. And so then after that, I talk about emotional healing, uh, where I coined the phrase post-traumatic spiritual stress disorder, mm. uh, learning your triggers, learning how to manage those and feel safe in church again. Uh, then your spiritual healing. And I take I take the reader to the Psalms a lot. Mm. Um, first, first part of the Psalms is David going, how long, O Lord, uh, is this going to take place? But then the second half is, but you, O Lord. Um, you are still God. You're my hiding place. Mm. And, and that spiritual growth journey. And once you do all those things, you can get to the final stage. And that's learning leadership development lessons. That's learning how it, it's taking the log out of my own eye. It's owning your part in the hurt and being a better church member, being a better pastor, and being finally on the road to healing. I don't say healed because I think that's a lifelong endeavor. Right. But getting on the way to healing. So if you know. Uh, a person that's been hurt by the church, or if anybody listening to this knows a, a pastor who is out of the ministry or have been hurt by a church, um, this is my only commercial. You can find The Wounded Pastor on Amazon, um, or you can go to my website, woundedleadership.com, and mm. find it. You can find all about me and, and my ministry on that. Um, but my, my prayer, my goal is to to touch the heart of those people that have been hurt by the church, especially pastors help them to heal and get some of these guys back in the game as it will. Mm. Um, Cause we have some well-called, well-qualified, qualified men of God uh, that are sitting on the sidelines and the church desperately needs them. So appreciate you. Let me share about that. Yeah. So no, we're glad you're go here. Find that. And uh, so it's a books on books on Amazon. Is there a website? Did you say? Okay. Yeah. My website is woundedleadership.com. Woundedleadership.com. And you can buy the book on there. You can find it on, on Amazon. Hmm. Um, barnesandnoble.com 
okay. um, different booksellers. Just Google it. You'll be able to find it. Cool. Um, but go to the website. You can find all about it. Well, thanks for being here. And today we're going to cover, uh, we're going to get through Judges and the Old Testament and, and also spend quite a bit of time in the Gospel of Luke, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about because there's uh, Luke's, it's it's one of the best sections of the Gospel of Luke that we're going to be covering today. So I hope you will stay with us as we get ready to open up God's Word and look what God reveals when we return. Should we still follow the Old Testament law? How should we interpret prophecies? Have you ever had a passage of the Bible you just couldn't understand? If that's you, then I want to personally invite you to our study called How to Study the Bible, beginning April 19th at 6 p.m. In this study, we will study what the Bible is and how we can interpret different genres, styles, and contexts of the biblical authors. This study will give you new tools, tips, and training that will help you in your personal study of Scripture. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. I hope to see you there. We're going to take a look at what we read this week in our Bible reading and share with you some of the things that God showed us in the text. And so I wanted to begin today with uh, something from Judges, uh, Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Uh, He says, uh, these are the nations the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations included the five rulers of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who lived in the Lebanese mountains from Mount Belhermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given their fathers through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. So... It was um it was a test that God had, but it's a it, the interesting part of this passage is is in you look and see that uh, it, in the Old Testament is like this as a whole. You see so many things where it looks like God is purposefully trying to make life difficult for His children. It's like why would He why would He test them? Why wouldn't He just put them in a situation where they would succeed? You know, it's kind of but you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and ask that question. Why would He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there when He knew that Adam and Eve were going to trip up? And and right. and, and it's really not like God is saying, "I wonder what's going to happen." Uh, when the language is being used like that in the Old Testament, it's really just saying, from our perspective, it looks like that's what's going to happen. But God is just revealing the nature of our hearts. He's mm-hmm. revealing what was there already. He already knew that they were going to betray him, uh, but they believed. Uh, it's kind of like when you go to the New Testament and you see Peter who says, absolutely, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. Never, It will never, ever, 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 ever happen. Well, until that situation is created, then Peter actually, I believe that Peter actually believes he won't. Mm-hmm. but he does and god is just simply revealing what he knows is already there and uh, and that's and that's what's happening here they uh, so god leaves these nations intact uh he commanded them to uh to cast all these people out and they did not do that which god had told them to do so those nations are still there 
and and so but the but the part of uh, the interesting part here is where it says that he that he is trying to give future generations of Israelites an opportunity to fight uh, because they had not had the opportunity to fight before mm-hmm. it it looks kind of like God is a warmonger in this particular way that he's like this I I want you to engage in war so it's important to step back and, and kind of again do a kind of a New Testament comparison or even a current church comparison it really is think of it from a, a spiritual warfare perspective that this is this is something that we all it's, it's I think one of the most difficult things in parenting and I think a a failed area of parenting right now is preparing our children to be adults, preparing them to deal with all the things that are going to be coming their way as they get older. Right. And and God is saying, I, I need this generation to because these these enemies are present. It's not like they're not going to be confronted with these temptations. So I want to give them the opportunity to see this is how this is how I operate within mm-hmm. this conflict. Mm-hmm. And we are we are going to be as long as the enemy exists, as long as Satan is real and and continues to reign reign and and throughout his territories and so forth. We are always going to have this battle. There's always going to be this confrontation. And the reality is is that so many times we don't know how to confront uh, the enemy. I, I mm-hmm. think uh, even in today's world, if you think of it in terms of when you keep children from seeing the consequences of their action, they begin to doubt whether the enemy is actually even real. Yeah. Um, when people think people think I'm going to become a Christian, once I make this decision to become Christian, life should be pretty easy. Well, that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's actually right. going to be more difficult. It's right. actually going to be harsher. And so you've got to be prepared to fight. And and God God is demonstrating this way back when. And so He says, I'm, I want to teach future generations how to fight and how this works. And and that's exactly as what's going to unfold in the Book yeah. of Judges. They're going to follow these foreign gods. They're going to get away from God. Their enemies are going to take them because they're not going to be able to defend. They're going to discover that God's defenses are based on their faithfulness to God, that they have to be walking in line with God. They have to be worshiping God as their God Mm -hmm. in order to have their God be their defender. When they turn to other gods for hope and defense, then God says, well, I'm going to let you find out what they can do. And they mm. can't do much. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to fail and as the, the cities are going to fall and then you're going to be under this hardship. But when you decide you don't want to be under that hardship anymore and you come back to me, then I'll show you that I am the one who gives you victory. I'll raise up a judge. I'll raise up mm-hmm. a, an army. And then I will show you how to how to fight in the power of the Lord. And and it is uh, it's frustrating to watch in the Old Testament, knowing it's like the, you had so much given to you. Uh, but but one of the things that uh, that we see them do that I, I think we we see uh, today uh, and I had this question posed to me this week about being unequally yoked and uh, about a young man who is a Christian who uh, the question was is should he date a girl who is not a believer uh, and his argument was is that I get a lot of comfort from her and she's a very good friend and she helps me through a lot of difficult times. And he said, but I'm not, I know I shouldn't marry her as if that's what the, the, what Jesus, what God is saying through when he tells us not to be unequally yoked. And I, of course, I'm, I'm the third person here. They're asking me what they should tell them. And I said, one, their heart has to be open to receive that information before you can give it. I mean, they're, if they're mm-hmm. not asking you what to do, then you, if you just throw that information on them, it will fall on deaf ears. They won't have ears to hear. I said, but if they do have ears to hear, 
I said, you be sure and tell them. I said, unequally yoked does not mean marriage. Une- uh, being yoked unequally means being connected with a anybody, uh, uh, whether it's a friendship or a bond or or working together in an environment or or partnering together in a company or whatever. When you are when you are morally bound to another person, when you are saying, I, I'm going to take from you, that we're going to do this together side by side. I mean, think of the concept of a yoke of two oxen side by side carrying a load going in the same direction. When you are yoked with someone who is going a different direction than you, then it makes it twice as hard for you to go the direction you feel to go, or they're going to pull you the other way. They're right. always pulling you in a different direction. Right. And here you see that God is highlighting that, that they began to intermarry. They began to marry other people, and then soon enough, and you can almost hear it back then. Uh, we're not going to follow their gods. They have their gods. We have our gods. Or her parents have those gods. But we, She's willing to come to our way and making all these rationale. Uh, mm. you know, rationalities and so forth. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, she's like, well, this we worship this God for this reason. And like, oh, well, that's kind of a cool thing. Because we see that happen today. That's exactly mm. how it unfolds. It's like, uh, you know what? They have, uh, I remember having these discussions with people. Somebody saying, well, I have friends who follow these other people and they're good people. Are you saying they're not good people? Are you saying their parents aren't good people? And it's like, and when you're young, you're like, ah, well, no, because they're like, well, look at this person who says they're a Christian and look at these people who say they're not Christians, but they're of this other faith or this other religion or worship other gods. And they're much better people than the people you're saying are Christians. And they're right. And so you're like, oh, my goodness, how, how can I be so judgmental and so forth and so on? <laughs> not realizing has absolutely nothing to do with whether they're doing good things or not doing good things. It has to do with the God that we're talking about. It's mm-hmm. not the person who's following the God that we're talking about or says they're following the God. It's the God himself we're talking about. And and God is better than whatever God they're following. And God has proven himself and to whatever other gods are, are being worshipped and so right. forth. It's uh, That is, the, the, the actions of the people do not reflect the actions of the God uh, that they follow. In fact, sometimes it's the polar opposite. Uh, and so God reveals himself, and, and, and over and over again, he says, this is me, and so this is me. Who, uh, highlight my works. Give glory to me. That's, that's what we are to be doing. We're to be putting trust and faith in him and to teach our children to do that. That's the other thing that I hope we get out of this passage is that our children are to be trained mm-hmm. to follow the God that we serve and to worship and that there are no other gods to follow or to worship and to, to not even allow even the hint of that within our homes and mm-hmm. to explain why we don't allow right. any hint of that in our homes mm-hmm. or worship or following. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know I catch a lot of flack about Harry Potter and, and our <laughs> rigidness about it, but especially with uh, a younger generation of people because they will they will argue with me that uh, while you know Tolkien has uh, wizards and so forth in his writings and so forth, and C.S. Lewis has a certain amount of magic and so forth and things, and that's all Harry Potter is, is just... And it's like, well, actually, it's not. It's actually, there's there's witchcraft in it. There are, there are actual things that are forbidden within the Word of God that mm-hmm. they are practicing. And all we're saying is, is that that, that needs to be highlighted. Mm-hmm. That we, while you are watching that on the screen, and, uh, and there are tons of things that we watch and read and so forth that we should understand, we should not do those things. I hope. I hope everybody understands that. <laughs> there are many things that are out there in the entertainment world that we should not participate in. But but that needs to be taught. That actually absolutely mm-hmm. needs to be said. Here's and my my story that I love to share all the time is that my children we did watch one of the Harry Potter films with them when they were younger and 
And uh, my daughter came back and she said, um, she said, I know, I know you said the movies were wrong, she said, but what if we cast spells in the name of Jesus? Would that be okay? Uh, and so anyway, I, I appreciate her. Good question. I appreciate her putting the, the connecting the dots there. Uh, but, but at least, but I, I just say to parents is that that's, but that shows you uh, the appeal. And this is in a Christian home of a pastor that still the allure and the appeal of the things that they see are like, can we even pretend to be in these worlds or in these realms and so forth? And it's like, um, it's like we, you know, it's like, don't, um, don't ever even give the pretense that you are worshiping or giving allegiance to or celebrating a God other than are the one true God. I think that leads really well into what I was going to talk about. Um, but to add to your, to your statement earlier about, um, the question about should somebody date someone who they're in a way unevenly yoked with, I think you already answered it, but. Um, on the other side of things, too, it's really, really dangerous to be recreational dating. I mean, the, mm. um, in in multiple multiple passages, we see um, how sexual immorality is is not just forbidden, but Paul says to run away from it. So right. um, I just think it's really, really dangerous. We have a lot of people in our culture that recreational recreationally date. Even within the Christian church realm, we have recreational dating. That it is a dangerous thing. It should yeah. be for the purpose of marriage. Yes. Yeah. And. So many people do it, and and it's allowed within our churches a lot of times, yeah. and that's not okay. And um, so I just want to add that to it. I I know that. It's, well, let me throw in too that I I don't want to be the type of church where we set up rules and regulations on you know where we forbid people to yeah <laughs> in the relationships, but we we want to teach them. Yeah. What uh, I love this passage in in Judges because in you know if there are pastors or Bible teachers listening, mm-hmm. go off into the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. be afraid to to dive into that. Right. But if you go back a generation before this one in Judges, you see mm-hmm. the the they were given the marching orders. Right. Mm-hmm. Have no other god before me. All of these things. Now you have another generation, um, or several generations, mm-hmm. and God is saying, "Do you still remember?" Yeah. And what kind of bounce off of what you were saying? Right. We fail to pass on the cost of discipleship. Right. Mm-hmm. And so God is coming to this second or third generation going, do you still remember that? So the, the burden is on, on the generations here. They should not have mm-hmm. intermarried. They should, right. have, they should have gone back to God's marching orders. But what about their parents? Mm-hmm. Did they pass those things on? Right. I, I like the connection you made with, with parenting. Um, and this is not an absolute, but you see a lot of times in, in companies, the, the first person builds it, the mm-hmm. second person enjoys it, and right. the third person, third generation loses it. Yeah. Right. And I think we can take a lesson from that. Yeah. In in the church and in discipleship, is we've got to pass on those lessons in you know going in with the movies. It's not like we're saying don't do it, but learn through it. Right. You know, yeah. sit down and watch a Harry Potter or something with your kids or with a trusted believer, and then have the dialogue. Yeah. Because the kids right. are asking the questions. So put those questions in the right yeah. way, but right. point out evil where you see evil. Yeah, don't be afraid and, to do and, that. And use the word of God as your guide. Absolutely. And, and to say the reason why we don't, why we know this is evil, is because God's word tells us it's evil. Yeah. Right. Not because I think it's evil. Yeah. Here's why. Because this is what God God says. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's passing on the the mandates of discipleship yeah. and the cost of discipleship as well. Because why why was it so easy for this generation to go to compromise really? Yeah. Right. To go this was okay. And I think you, I think even in the corporate world where you see the success, where you say, well, I know, a, I, when you say, well, I know an example where the second generation did well, 
I will guarantee you that second generation was taught the values There's a reason of the first generation. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason they, they did that well. They did pass the torch, and they yeah. did a good job. And, and it was the same way. And the, that's why you had some periods of 20 years, some periods of 40 years, some periods of 80 years where the, they experienced some success in following God. And you see that in the same with kings. You know, the, the, right. some kings had faithful follow, faithful sons who also mm-hmm. were faithful. That's because it was passed on. But but when it's not, then... Yeah, it was it, intentional. It, it, yeah, exactly. Right, right. yeah. Legacy. It was intentional, exactly. It's a legacy, right? Yeah, so, legacy. Well, building. I don't know if that transitions as well, but I, I'm going to be talking about... <laughs> I it, ruined his trans- uh, transition. Hey, yeah. It's okay. I, I didn't need the transition anyway. Um, Luke uh, 13, verse 22 is where I'm going to be at. And um, I'll, I'll try to be brief, but uh, starting in verse 22, I'm in the English Standard Version again. Uh, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are or those who are saved be few? He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will will seek to enter the, and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, or he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came, where you come from. Depart from me, you, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in, in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and, south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some who are first. Some are first who will be last. Mm-hmm. So in this passage, um, I I think it's pretty clear what he's saying here. But I, I just want to highlight that mm-hmm. that if we go to church every week and we participate in the things of that are listed within the in the Bible, we we follow the um, I'll say legalistic rules of the of the church. We follow things to a T the best we can. Paul even says in in um, the very end of Second Corinthians, I think he talks about um, you know if um, anyone is good at following the law. If anyone is, is a, a Hebrew, a Jew that, that does a great job, then then he is. And because he's followed these rules, he's done the the job of the of a leader within the church. Um, and uh, but yet that does not lead anything to his righteousness. So in the same way here, we see that like the things that we do, we someone says in verse 26, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you can, where you come from. So we have this picture of where these these people had done the things that were within the church. They had followed the things in the Bible. They had done these things the best that they could throughout their life, but yet they had no regeneration in, in Christ, and there is no way for them to enter the kingdom of heaven because Christ didn't know them. So um, so I, I just read this, and I think it's a good reminder for, for us in the church as we are, are doing things and, and considering our lives and our own heart and our own posture of, of, of how we're, um, well, one, representing Christ, but also how we're, um, how we're um, leading lives that, that are trying to follow Christ, that that is something that we have to inwardly um, have Christ having worked in our heart and changed us, um, that we will be in him, and then um, in turn, then we will do those things. If we're just doing those things out of practice or out of, out of rule following or out of the, even as we were talking just now about the, the parents who did it, they taught us to do it, and then we follow suit, um, that doesn't that doesn't lead to our own salvation. And just because others around us have done these things and we follow the things that we could, um, it doesn't lead us to salvation. I, I hear lots of students on campus talk about how they want to follow God because they um, they know that they cannot go to heaven without um, without professing faith. And it's basically what they'll say. And 
and uh, that they know the destination for them that they aren't in Christ is hell, so they believe these things. But but then they never act, some of them will never actually profess faith, or they'll profess faith, but but their life doesn't shift to match that. Instead, their their life just looks like the world, but they but they claim to be a Christian in mm-hmm. turn. And we see another passage that says, um, "Not all who call upon me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven." So we've got these two here, and I, I think it's just really important to highlight here that we we as as people who profess to be Christians are not guaranteed a spot in heaven if we are not Christians. Mm-hmm. So we cannot just choose to take the title and then guarantee salvation. So right. that that's not gives us assurance. What gives us assurance? Um, like in uh, James, it talks about how um, you know one person might say faith by works, but he's going to show us faith by his works. So mm-hmm. and um, not that we have a works-based faith, but but more specifically that um, our hearts have to be changed for us to enter the kingdom. We have to know Christ deeply, intimately, and actually be regenerate. Very good. Yeah. Sweet. I think that's one of the most heartbreaking passages in Luke mm. because they were so close, mm. close to the things of Christ. I mean, they they saw Christ himself. And he's always, right there. He's, he's right looking, looking right at him, yeah. yeah. And uh, that even moves me to uh, to Matthew 8, Matthew 19, Matthew 20, the uh, my mind just went totally blank on the chapters. Does yours ever do that? Uh, all the time, yeah. Uh, when when the people were gathered with Jesus on the mountain right mm-hmm. before he ascended, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew 28, thank you. You know, it said some believed and some doubted. I mean, here they see mm-hmm. the resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. right? and they still doubt. Um, I do think you need to bring in the parable of the soils mm-hmm. to kind of right. help understand here why they're right. close but not quite. Right. Um. But that should break the hearts of the church to right. realize that there are some within us yeah. that are around the things of Christ, but Christ has not affected their heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Billy Graham used to say that he believed only twenty percent of the church was actually redeemed. But uh, and 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 when you get into, I think people think of their circle of friends and they think of that and think, oh, that's over twenty percent of the people I know are actually true believers in Christ. But uh, and the sad part is you have a lot of people who are actual followers of Christ who begin to doubt their salvation because they begin to look at their works and don't feel adequate when it's right. like you're not going to feel adequate ever <laughs> is the whole idea. But the but there is a there are is there is a large I'm trying to grammatically there is a large number of people who is uh, who are. I'm trying. I'm trying to get my my verbs right. The uh, so my teacher keeps ringing in my head. There, my right. grammar teacher is R is R singular plural. Um, to be or not to be exactly. The the, but the idea is is that uh, we have so many who think uh, I I think I'm okay because I have this somewhat uh, nominal Christian faith. And and it's because they've never gone enough to learn the difference. They've never read enough of the Bible to really know what it says. They don't. Mm-hmm. They never had the gospel clearly articulated. Uh, I've never. I, I've encountered so many people who come who come to church for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. if ever. And uh, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian." And then you're like, and as soon as they say that, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're not. <laughs> Just by that statement, because if you're pretty sure, the door's then, narrow. Then yeah, you, yeah. You 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 really haven't had it explained that this is either all this is all or nothing thing. Either yeah. you're in or you're out. You've been changed. You haven't been changed, and and so you begin to describe what it means to be a changed person. Right. And then you realize, oh well, that's never happened. I've never done yeah. that before. Well, and and to step outside of this passage alone, um, yeah. if we if we step into looking at 
what it looks like to be accountable to others, um, doing life together. Mm -hmm. The picture that Paul has with the guys of these disciples. I mean, we have we have what five guys that are listed out. We have right. Barnabas, Timothy, Paul, or no, Silas, um, Titus, and then yeah. uh, even John Mark. Um, that that he individually disciples. He takes them along with him. And but their life, they see each other's life. They see it one on one. We even see in the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha, Samuel with Eli. Um, yeah. And we we have this picture of these these guys who do life together. And we as Christians today have to do these things. Otherwise, we are not um, one right. not following the commands of God. Right. And two, we're setting ourselves up for deep failure. And and whenever we do these things, it it identifies in our own lives how we are not following Christ in a good way. Yeah. So. Well, I, let me liken it to this. I think of how many times you've met somebody, mm. and you would like to think, and somebody says uh, mentions that person, and they maybe have some celebrity status or whatever. Sure. And you go, oh, I know them. Mm. You know, and in, and sometimes you'll even lean in and go, oh yeah, we're pretty much friends. You know, and it's because I was there with them and. And you think this is maybe one or two encounters with that person. You take people who are with them on a regular basis, mm. they really feel it's like I really no no I really know them. I mm. was in their classroom, you know, mm. at, like you were in school with that right. person, and you went to class every day, and you went yeah. to lunch every day, and so mm. you you feel like I know that person, mm. um, but you don't know that person. Right. I mean, you're not a, you're not their friend. I mean, it's mm. like I mean that's you just are acquainted with them, right? And so people would, and especially magnetic personalities. And so people would surround Jesus and they would walk with him and listen to him and so forth. And he's and he's talking to a group in such a way that you feel like, you know, mm -hmm. them. I mean, I mean, we didn't have they didn't have TV and radio back then, but we feel that way. We feel, you know, people talk about movie stars and so forth as if they know them. They don't know those people. They don't have any idea who you are. They don't know that you exist. And, and sometimes you will. Uh, I, I don't want to highlight a particular Baptist preacher, but we were even in our own circles. We were at the convention one year, and I had a young pastor with me, and he walked up to a guy who was uh, soon to be the president of the SBC, and uh, and he says, "Hey, remember me?" You know, was we, the guy says, "Oh yeah, I remember you." He says, "Yeah, it's good to see you again," and so forth. And we walk away. He goes, "I never." He didn't remember. <laughs> I said, "I never." He said, "I never met him before in my life." I just wanted to see what he would say. And it's like, but that's how we are. We're we're yeah. we have that superficial kind of connection with people, mm -hmm. and that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, "Think of how many people have a super superficial connection with me." Right. He said. I'm just telling, making sure you know, that's not going to get you in heaven. Mm. That there is you, you have to. I have to know you. Right. You know, it's not about you knowing me or knowing who I am. Mm. I have to know who you are, and and we yeah. have to have a relationship mm. with one another. And and that's uh, it's it's so hard to, and unless people have that revealed to them, uh, unless they hear those words and get it, it, it Jesus is saying. What you have is not enough. That's, but that's all through the New Testament. That's he said over uh, the Sermon on the Mount and all the different discourses he has with his disciples. He's trying to say over and over again, what you have is not enough. Mm -hmm. Is you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not going to get into heaven. And people are like, what are you? What are you talking about? That's impossible. And he's like, exactly. That's the point. <laughs> exactly. You can't get yourself into heaven. The, the and, Pharisees on the outside had already completed an impossible task in the mind of the yeah. of the average person. Yeah. 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 And so, and and he was just saying, you need. You have to have, you have to know who I am. I have to know who you are. We have to have a relationship with one another. And then he, and the gospel is explaining how is that even possible? How do you do that? How do you mm -hmm. make that happen? And that's right. where faith comes in. And, and, uh, and that's, but that's, again, 
I I know so many who it's like I look at you and think I know you've not had anybody else have this conversation with you and I haven't explained it to you. So if if I haven't done it, then you don't know it, you know. Yeah. And so that's and so you're thinking something that's not real. But well, I think that even better transitions us from this this place where we shouldn't be overly assured of mm-hmm. of the salvation that we think we may have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it leads us really well into what Matt's going to talk about about mm-hmm. about the the lost sheep. We at least we hope anyway. We're, yeah. we're, we're gonna up. we're gonna yeah. pray that it that it smooths in. Yeah, smoothly no. trans. Because if, if we have a rough <laughs> transition, it just it's just not it doesn't work. Well, That's you, why the guy behind the camera can fix that for yeah, me. Exactly. Right? Oh, that doesn't <laughs> happen. He does all the magic. Yeah. yeah. But you know, the last thing I thought about when you were talking uh, to make that segue is we as believers, you know, you do this as a pastor, Troy, that. That's where Paul says, speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And we've got to love people enough to go to them and go, you, you might not have it. Or mm-hmm. here's where you're, you're faulty here. And yeah. uh, it even connects with judges, the, yeah. the cost of discipleship. And, yeah. you know, Paul says, take up your cross. Yeah. And right. we, we've got to stop lying to, to believers or right. to church people and saying, um, yeah, it's, just, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. When you just just accept Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Yeah. But that's okay. Right. Yeah. Because He knows you. The, the cost is realistically minimal. Okay, yeah. yeah. When you compare the the yeah the the results. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But if we were left with um with judges, I'm gonna let y'all have the negative today. <laughs> if we were left with judges, and then we were left with uh Luke 13, that could be a little bit discouraging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But. God gave us Luke 15. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it, it was a pet peeve of mine personally, anytime I would hear these parables in Luke 15 taught, they were always isolated. Mm. We were going to preach one. And then, I mean, if, if they did a series, I'll give them a little bit of kudos. But I would hear one off messages. Oh, yeah, that makes but sense. But put them all together. Right. Because, I, you know, all three are about lost things. And mm-hmm. it's it's not rocket science on on Luke 15. Luke 15 is kind of the salve that that uh, kind of makes you feel a little bit better mm-hmm. by the time you get there in, in some of these other passages. But the reality is is that God seeks out those who are lost. Mm. Um, you know, with the the lost sheep, that's the one I think people are most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I won't spend a lot of time there, but it's it's Christ leaving the 99, going to the one. Right. And I, I've said it, we've heard it said, you know, I was that one mm-hmm. that God rescued. Then you go into the lost coin, and that that one's easy to to skip over because we're getting ready to the prodigal son. So everybody likes right. to talk about the nine, you know, the one sheep. Everybody likes to talk about the prodigal son. But then there's these what four verses, five verses. Yeah. Uh, on this lost coin. Do you want to read it for us? Yeah, I can. Um, it says, or what, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God, before one sinner who repents. Hmm. The insignificance of that coin. You know, many of us, if, if we had 10 coins, you know, 10 pennies and we lost one, which one of us would give it a second thought? It was like, it's just a penny. It's probably in the couch. You know, my children will find it. 
Mm-hmm. But she sweeps the house. You know, culture dictates possibly a dirt floor. Mm. You know, so she's sweep. She's moving the dust around in the home, trying, trying to find it. And then her response when she finds it. And it, it's. I brought this out when I was teaching on it because, it, it, like I said, it would be easy for us to just just hone in on the things we on the, on the nine that we do have hmm. and not celebrate enough the one that we found when she throws an absolute party she gets the neighbors together we're we're doing a neighborhood party because of one point hmm. and you know just as much as we are that lost sheep the the depths that god goes to to seek us to rescue us hmm. And then you move that into the prodigal son. You know, we caused that separation. You know, we squandered our inheritance that caused us to be in the in the pig pen. And then that, the, I mean, the quintessential beautiful picture of the father looking for the son, mm-hmm. the celebration um, that that takes place when the prodigal son finally comes home. He's welcomed into the family, still bears the scars of his choices, the scars of his sin. Mm-hmm. But then, every time I hear, a lot of times, I can't say every time, but a lot of times when I hear the prodigal son talked about, we forget about the brother that stayed home. All right. We can't forget him because too many times we're that brother too, where, well, look, I didn't run away. You know, I didn't squander anything. The mm-hmm. self-righteous. Right. And uh, you put those three together and, you know, especially coupled with what we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gate is narrow. But look at the depths that God goes to. Right. To rescue, to rescue us. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, I, I say this a lot of times. Sometimes we sing, especially hymns, and we sing stuff so much or we become so familiar with a passage that the significance is lost a little bit on us. Mm-hmm. And I think that Luke 15 is one of those passages. Mm-hmm. But it is like amazing grace mm. that he, he saved a wretch like me. You know, we, we can't find our way back to him. Right. We can't yeah. save ourselves. Our hearts are darkened. They must be changed by him. Dead, yeah. We're dead in our sins. Mm. Yet he made us alive in Christ. And he rescued us. and. So with with judges and with with Luke, and all these put together, um, I don't know. There's a whole lot more. Y'all might be able to add something more to Luke 15. But what a beautiful place to stop and rest. Yeah. Kind of do the Psalms, Selah. You know, the yeah, pause. Right, right. And just go. Wow. Yeah. It he is, rescued me. It is a. It is a uh, moment where Jesus is, has all these people, these tax collectors and prostitutes and all these people from basically the wretched people who are uh, coming around him. Mm-hmm. And then you have the scribes and the Pharisees who are questioning. It's like, what in the, what in the, why are you keeping this company of people? And, and really Luke's entire gospel is because he is a Gentile and he's showing. I mean, his whole gospel is uh, is about a group of people who really were not ever promised the kingdom. I mean, and it's like there's no hope or was nothing for us. And so yeah. you have this whole group. He really represents this whole group of people 
who find something in Christ that they never found in the God of the Old Testament, that they never found in the Jewish faith, they never found in the temple. Uh, and that was supposed to be, I mean, God wanted to use the Israelites to be a light to mm-hmm. the nations. He wanted them to be. And and Jesus is the Israelite. He is the Jew who is the light mm-hmm. to the nations. And and here just showing, uh, and really he is speaking to, it is a, it is a parable to the older brother. It is a, mm-hmm. it's a, I don't think you understand why I love your little brother still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think you understand why I'm looking for this coin. I don't think you understand why I'm leaving the flock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't you don't get the heart of God. You don't understand that God. Uh, so when we read, obviously we we see the one sheep, we see the lost coin, we see the prodigal son, because it's who we are. Mm-hmm. That's us. We yeah. see we read ourselves. You can normally I tell people don't read yourself into the story, but in this one, this one you can. This is you. Absolutely. We are not the older brother. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, we weren't with him before. We weren't children of Abraham at the, from mm-hmm. the beginning. We are the ones who uh, he came after. And, uh, and so, and that, and in this crowd, those are the, I mean, it's those sinful people who have been cast out who are, I mean, you can imagine, can you imagine being there in this and hearing this and going, that's, that's me. Yeah. He's, he's saying that I, God is coming after me and finds value in me. Yeah. And, uh, even though, uh, and, and the prodigal son is, is the, is the big moment in this story because not only did he not have value he had value and squandered it gave mm-hmm. it away and it's like and so the, he's the it was like you had you're a the moment. worst of the you've worst. made you made yeah you're the worst of the worst <laughs> yeah. it's like your father gave you and then you threw it all the way and and how there's nothing to restore and yet the father does restores yeah. him anyway makes him a son again when he is not worthy to be a son again has yeah. no desire to be a son again you know doesn't even think that's possible and god's yeah. that's where grace really begins to take its it is amazing grace i'm glad you made that yeah. connection because that's that's really what it is well yeah. to give an example of this um there's a guy in one of the student ministries about a year ago he came to faith and mm-hmm. and um but i think for we'll call him luke so um his friend luke but mm-hmm. anyway we um so so luke for for a couple years had been on this like they put them on an impossible list. They made a list every year, every event that they went mm-hmm. to, they made a list of impossible guys that God, that, that they look at him and it's like, it's almost like God won't save that guy. Right. And they, and they pray and pray and pray that these guys would be saved. And I think he found that list for three, four, five events in a row for over a two or three year period. And then they had spent, I mean, the guy got in the gospel share with him as an unbeliever more times than I think probably almost anyone in that, mm-hmm. in, in that time. And, um, and he, I, I, it had to be dozens and dozens of times that he had to share with him. And eventually there was, there was one, uh, of the events that we went to and he was again on that impossible list. And I remember him standing up and all, of, all of his friends were, um, beside themselves because they were so excited that, that he had come to know Christ. Yeah. But, um, I can see in a moment there where someone like the older brother could be bitter because they spent so much time with this guy, investing so much money and effort into this one person. That um, I think they had given him multiple free like like conferences and multiple free yeah. events and stuff they had gone to. They had driven him places across the country to take him to go places because they wanted so badly for him to come to know Christ. And he again and again would would go. I think partially just because he was selfish and wanted the 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 things that they were giving him for free. Right. And he'd wait until they give it to him for free, and then he would get him like, oh, I got it for free yeah. again, and they'll do it for me. But um, but in this case, um, you know, Luke in this case was just so excited. We were so excited for him to come to know Christ because 
um, we had waited so long for that moment. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a lot of times, especially if we don't pray ahead of time for those things to happen, we get really frustrated that, that God um, had saved that guy, even though we had shared with him so many times that that labor had felt like it was in vain for so long mm-hmm. that, that we end up with this bitter heart towards the, whenever the moment actually comes that God saves that person. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah and, and I don't want to. I said earlier that we can't really relate to the older brother, but you can in the context of our current religious situation. Uh, I mean, we we if you just narrow it down to those who are prideful in their own relationship with God versus those who have been humbled by life experience. I just was thinking about how when I was younger, I thought, I oh, mean, I wish I had wish I had killed somebody or committed a crime where I spent some time in prison. Wouldn't that be so much better testimony? You know, than just growing up in church and following Jesus, and then you realize, oh wait, I, I guess kind of it doesn't work. It shouldn't work like that. No, there's right. to be a, uh, but but I think that's kind of the where that mindset comes from. It comes from that. Uh, a look at this guy who is impossible because that's where the great stories are. He was impossible, mm-hmm. and then God did this great work in turning everything around. Uh, but the reality is, is is just as great a work for those who are already who grew up with Christian parents and who grew up in a Christian home. Uh, the thing to remember there is too much is given, much is expected mm-hmm. uh, at that point. But um, but yeah, I don't ever want to diminish that uh, you may feel like the older brother and don't uh, don't <laughs> don't think that God won't speak to you in that way either. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, thank you guys for sharing. We're gonna come back and we're gonna answer some questions as soon as we come back. My name is Dr. Matthew Tanner, and I just want to speak for a few seconds to any pastor who has been unjustifiably terminated or forced to resign the pastorate in their church. There is a resource that you need to get your hands on called The Wounded Pastor. This is a story that comes out of my story and the stories of 30 or so other pastors who have walked this path, the same path that you're walking now. So if you've been through this or you have a family member that has been through this unfortunate phenomenon, this book will help you understand exactly what's going on, how it may have taken place in your church, but most importantly, will lead you on a four-step process on how you can heal and become a better, stronger, healing leader. So go to woundedleadership.com where you can get your hands, you can find out about me, the ministry, and you can get your hands on The Wounded Pastor. You'll also be able to find the link for the book on Amazon and all about it. So do not suffer by yourself. Do not walk this path by yourself. Go get the book and find your way to healing. time for our question and answer segment where we're going to take a look at a couple questions um maybe a third as well but uh, we're going to start with evans evan your question all right so my question is about um luke 14 12 to 24 we see the parable of the great banquet mm-hmm. um and we have this example of a lot of men who are invited to um go to the banquet but i'm a little bit confused about the part between verses 17 and uh, 23 mm-hmm. where it talks about these men making excuses. Um, what is the purpose of this section? Mm, I, I think there's some key things to pick up on in this part where he's, he starts with saying, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. And uh, and that's and he's saying that uh, all of them, no, no matter who they went to, 
uh, they they began to say uh, we can't come and uh, and and I, I think that's interesting the without exception part meaning everyone that we went and shared this message with uh, nobody nobody came uh, one of the things I think that that kind of is highlighting is when Jesus gets to the cross it, in uh, it'll the in the gospels it'll say they all forsook him and fled not some of them not most of them all of them. And we know John was at the cross. We know uh, Peter was close by and denied him and so forth. And, and so you have kind of like they're, they're hovering around. But the, the key, that they all knew this. They all knew that none of them were willing to go with him uh, mm-hmm. when they had the opportunity to follow him. Uh, the, and Jesus saying, I'm going to proclaim the kingdom. I'm ushering in the kingdom. And no one would. But God already knew this. He already knew that none of them uh, would do this. They they gave excuses, and, and and you're right. He gives several excuses. I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm trying to try them out. Another says I got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. And then he goes back to the masters and tells them why they're unable to be there. Uh, and uh, then it says in anger, uh, the master told the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And this was these were the people that flocked to Jesus. These were the people that uh, flocked to the kingdom. Uh, he's, uh, we were talking about chapter 15 earlier, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and so forth talking about, um, uh, why are you hanging around with all these blind, lame, maimed, uh, and sinful people? Uh, and, and you first of all, understand that the Pharisees put them all in the same group. If you were blind, obviously you did something. That's why you're, if you're maimed, Obviously, you did something. That's why you're maimed. That's why your life isn't the way it's supposed to be because of the sin in your life. Mm-hmm. So all those are people in one group, all very desperate to be forgiven, all very desperate to follow God. I always think of the woman who had the issue of blood mm-hmm. and so forth and was so desperate. She couldn't worship. She, she, she was shunned, cast out of worship for years, for 12 years, could not worship God because of this condition that she had. So desperate, mm-hmm. she reached out privately, knowing she's not supposed to touch Jesus. You know, this, that she could be rebuked, stoned to death if, if they carried out the law. Uh, she shouldn't touch this young rabbi. Yet she's so desperate to be healed. She touches him and Jesus says, you know, he feels it. The power goes out of him and highlights it and so forth and wants to highlight and say, and basically Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. This is what I came to do. I came to, to make, she's, she's the one I'm after. She's, right. she's the one I'm trying to minister to. And, and. Right after Jesus shares this parable about this great banquet and so forth, he then goes into, well, here's what it costs to follow me. Mm-hmm. You have to hate your mother. You have to hate your father. You have to hate your family. You basically hate your job, hate everything, hate everybody. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's difficult to understand except for just the context that he just said. He said, if you get caught up in these relationships, if you get caught up in this life that you're living here, if you begin to love this life more than following me, you're going to lose your life. Right. So you need to basically hate this life, lose this life, and then gain the life that I'm trying to give you. Mm. He's saying, you're going to have a family. You're going to have a job. You're going to have all the things that you're trying to enjoy. Now you're going to have that better. And that's something that we say over and over and over and over again to people. And wow, the church doesn't hear that. Mm. It's like they'll say, you know, it's like I... I don't have time to go to church because we want to be involved in sports and we want to go to the lake and we want to do all these things. Not that there's not a place for those things of taking a moment to rest, but it has to be from the context of I'm on mission for God, doing what God called me to do. And yes, every once in a while we take a break to refuel, re-energize so we can get back to the mission of God. It cannot be the other way around. Like I'm on a, I'm enjoying my life 
And every once in a while, I'll take a break and do something for God to appease him. God is not appeased. It doesn't work that way. So Jesus is saying, look, you either give this up and follow me. That's why it was easy. So anybody, all without exception, I mean, I think it's pretty true today, without exception, those people who value those things in life don't get into the kingdom of God. And so uh, it's that's why he says it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. So it's so he's saying that's why the poor, the maimed, the blind, that's why they're willing to come in. They have how, they're not enjoying the life they have. They're mm-hmm. not going to the lake. They're not they don't have they can't play in sports. So he's in people who are deprived of those things. This that's your low hanging fruit. Those are the people right. who, who are anxious to get in. So. I think we see that a lot on the college campus too. I, yeah. I know that whenever we um. One of the guys named CJ that works at, at, at with Campus Movement and I talk about a lot is, mm. is how the, the guys that him and I both feel drawn to a lot of times are the ones who already look poor, lame, lame and maimed, right? Yeah. And um, and we, we see them from a distance. And I I I've always felt that way. Like I I see them and I I I want so badly for them to know Christ. Not that others don't need Christ too, yeah. but but I see them. And I I want so desperately for them to have have the life that that we know. Yeah. So. And I've been a part of churches where. Uh, the poor and maimed were kept out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, we don't we don't want them in here. They'll mess everything up. We got everything the way we like it. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think you're really a church. I don't think mm-hmm. you really understand the concept of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We want, but, them, um, we want them and we want them bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we should be an open place. Uh, yeah. I, I specifically think of a potluck that we, the church had one time and they had kids that were playing out in the street and saw them eating in the windows and came to the door and said, hey, how do we get some of this food? And it's like, it's a private event. You're not welcome. You know, and it's like, wow, that's awful we're, we're golf forget the fact that jesus said let the little children come to me i mean we'll it's like but, it, but it's what but yeah. it's how church people think of it yeah we it's became like we, an all-inclusive this golf is our money our it's a country club is yeah. what it is and, yeah. so, and that's where but we get that one of the things we see in this passage is the lame and the blind right yeah they were unavoidably confronted with their brokenness uh-huh yeah you know they you can't walk right you you, you know it's like you said they can't do the normal things of life in a you know and even a first century belief was God is punishing you for something. Right. The rest of them were still as broken, but they didn't admit it. Right. I mean, they were just going and living life and, and resting on what they can do and the, this, their own success. And I've even said many times, we're all broken. It's just some of us admit it. And Jesus is calling those that have admitted their brokenness. I'm like, yeah, I've got a place for you. Right. No one's perfect. Not even one. Yeah. Well, let me highlight another question, uh, and I really should call this segment Questions You Should Have Asked But Didn't. Um, (laughs) Nobody asked the question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. It's from Luke chapter 16, uh, and uh, it's the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day, but a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dog's would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Now, I could read the rest of it, but I want to highlight a couple of things. One is, people ask, what is Abraham's bosom? Uh, what is that? Is that heaven? Is that hell? And so forth. 
And the concept of Abraham's bosom being a uh, being beside Abraham is a is a was a long held belief in the time of Jesus, uh, an understanding that that's where the righteous go. That there is a place. Be one thing of Sheol as being a place of the dead. That there was always you say an air conditioned side and a non air conditioned side. A part where it's you're being blessed mm-hmm. and a part where there's torment with a chasm in between. So he's he's just simply relaying to them what they already know or understand their concept of death. Uh, I wouldn't read it too great of a theology in this because anyway, ultimately it changes when Jesus is resurrected and our spirit's going to be in his presence. But he's trying to highlight that uh, the difference between these two people and one putting their faith in, in, in God and one, and, and also showing again, we've shown so much this, the lame and the poor and so forth have a much easier time entering into the presence of God, just not because they are poor, but because they have put their faith in God and trusted in God for these things. But the, the bigger issue, without getting to the theology of the question, the, the, not the bigger issue, but the bigger question is that I'm asked, is this Lazarus of Jesus' friend Lazarus? Because, and it's said many times, that this is one of the only parables where Jesus actually uses a proper name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lazarus was a fairly common name in Jesus' day, so it's not. But uh, here's the reason to believe it's not the Lazarus that it was because of a point that Jesus highlights. And that is, when Lazarus dies, he's poor and he's carried into the presence by angels. When the rich man dies, he is buried and there is a funeral. And one of the things that Jesus is pointing out here is that uh, in that the the focus on the celebration of death uh, was a part of the culture at this time, that this rich man would have had mourners. He would have had a, a massive amount of people coming to, uh, he would have been buried in a very proper tomb. Didn't, every, they, didn't they do paid mourners? Yeah, and they, yeah, mean, they, they, they paid would, people to come and mourn. So it was a big thing. Let everybody know yeah. he In fact, he died. that's what happened for Lazarus, which showed that Lazarus would not have been the poor guy. Right, you it, see it, those, the, the, those not his relatives. Right. That are at weeping the women and all of that, right? So, and and complaining you know, yeah. about Jesus, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so forth. Well, where were you? Yeah, and we know that Mary and Martha were not poor, right? Exactly. And, so and this is a, so this doesn't it doesn't fit that Lazarus would be this guy that he's describing, right? But the bigger thing he's I, I think that to highlight is is that in in saying that uh, the poor man just goes to be with God and the rich man all he has is that funeral. That's it, and he doesn't really get to enjoy that. And 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 telling people, uh, you know, like when the man came to him and says, permit me to go first and bury my father. And mm-hmm. Jesus gives a classic response, let, let the dead bury the dead. You know, and he's like, that's burials are not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Jesus messed up every funeral he went to. <laughs> and uh, and that's and because that's not his purpose for being here. And, and and we get caught up in that. We get caught up in you know, how am I going to be buried and, and where am I going to be buried and cremation and all these different things. You know, we worry so much, spend so much money toward that. And I'm not trying to be cheap here or trying not to be a good steward, but I'm just saying uh, that the focus for us, that Christians should not be focused on our death. Christians should be focused on the fact that we have eternal life mm-hmm. and and live like that. Christ I, offers yeah. life and life abundantly. Right. It's, it's yeah. just don't stop getting caught up in, in how you're going to die and is everything going to be taken care of when I die and how am I going to be treated when I die and is everybody going to handle it? You know, I, you know, I told my wife, I said, if you want to put me in a Ziploc bag or whatever, just, it's, I don't care. It's yeah. a, it's irrelevant. Just right. you do what you need to do 
to feel better at the time. I'm, you know, and, the, and I hope for her sake. Well, I I want to go first. I don't know. That, that's probably selfish. I t- we were having this conversation. We were walking the other night. I I don't want to watch my children. I don't want to watch other people I love. I've I've seen a lot of people I love die already, mm-hmm. and I already know that I'm going to see too many more than I want. I get it. Why Paul says to live as Christ, uh, but to die is gain. You yeah. know, I I'd just soon be with Jesus than go through this more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people, if you're thinking to live is gain, then you've lost perspective of what our eternal, where we're invested all of our eternal life in. Right. Well, and and Luke really highlights that at the rest of that that section because when when you then pick up uh, where the rich man said, "Well, go to my brothers." Like you should have been doing that instead of planning your funeral. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you should have been, you know, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the same information you had. Yeah. He does give an incredible statement too, where he says, if they won't believe um, uh, <laughs> Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe a man coming back from the dead. And and that was exactly the truth. Yeah. And a, did Jesus come back? From the <laughs> exactly. Dead and, and they and they didn't, didn't believe him. him. Yeah. So they yeah, they it's just believe. like it's it's too late. Yeah, Put yeah. the emphasis on you. I like how you said it. Put the emphasis on your life and pointing to people through Christ in that. Right. Death will yeah. take care of itself. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good deal. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Matt, for joining Excellent. us today. Appreciate it. We don't get other preachers on here very often. Hey, anytime, so man. That's, it's exciting. Sure. Well, we Enjoy. Evan. You know, I, so, I don't so, count. That. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking that path of humility. Yeah. That's a pleasure to be here. Man. Always yeah. always a pleasure to sit down with like-minded uh, brothers and talk about God's Word. Very good, very good. And sure. as we've learned from times past, even though many people may not be listening to it today, people go back and they listen to previous things. So uh, we'll, we'll treasure this one. For, for time to come. When you become rich and famous, we'll go back and go, oh, there's Matt Tanner on book her. Yeah, and yeah. then whenever so people... I, I got my start. No. Yeah. When, when people <laughs> ask us if we knew you, then uh, then we'll say, yes, we can prove it. That's I, right. I, I and promise. we're really good friends. Yeah, we're yeah. really good friends. We can I, prove it. I promise when you come up to me at a convention and you're like, hey, Matt, I'm not going to go, yeah, you know, I'm actually going to say, yes, I do know the yeah. yeah. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. We may get a selfie or something before you leave. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Understanding Jesus podcast. We will be back next time. So be reading the word and, uh, and hopefully uh, you'll join us then.